Looking for more professional learning, free as a benefit of your union membership? OEA's upcoming quarter catalog is available now at grow.oregoned.org. You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members, for members. In Season 10, members discuss supporting our newly arrived students with Sakura Hamada. Hello, everybody. Um, welcome to OEA Grow Podcast. For those of you who has listened to OEA Grow Podcast before, welcome back. But for those of you who have who has not listened to OEA Grow Podcast before, welcome. We're so happy to have you here with us um, for this season. As your host, Sakura Hamada, uh, I am a school counselor in now po- uh, Portland Public School. And this season, we'll be talking about supporting newly arrived students. And so today, um, our guest will be Ethelyn Tumalad. So Ethelyn, would you mind introducing yourself? Of course. Firstly, thank you for having me, Sakura. I am super excited. Um, my name is Ethlyn Tumulad Granados. Uh, my students call me Mrs. Tumulad or simply just Tumulad, right? Um, I work at Clackamas High School as an English teacher and AVID teacher. I've taught 10th through 12th grade English uh, and AVID. Um, if people don't know what AVID is, that's a program for first-generation bound college students. Uh, I also am the advisor for the Asian Pacific Islander Student Union, amongst all the other work that um, I do at Clackamas <laughs> High School. <laughs> oh, and I should probably not forget, Sakura is like looking at me. <laughs> I was named Teacher of Oregon Teacher of the Year um, in 2021 for 2022. Yes. Well, what an honor to have you join us today. Wow. Sounds like you have been doing so much work for your community. Uh, would you mind telling, telling us about what your experiences has been like working with the newly arrived students? Of course. <clears throat> So my experience with newly arrived students, uh, there's a pretty decent population um, at North Clackamas School District. Uh, Newly arrived students, they usually go to ELD first, right? Mm -hmm. And then they um, test. And then once they test out, quote unquote, testing out, they go into the mainstream classrooms. I teach English as a required class to graduate. So I actually do get a pretty big portion of newly arrived students. I get many ELD, immigrant, first-gen kids. The demographic that we have at my school is Spanish-speaking, Vietnamese-speaking, and Russian-Slavic-speaking students. Um, my experience with the, the students that I just talked about have been really wonderful. Um, the communities are vast and diverse, and I always really enjoy having the uh, students uh, in my classroom. So it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, thank you. So you mentioned that you are teach you have been teaching English for 10th mm -hmm. through 12th grade. Uh, can you tell us more about what does that look like when uh, supporting our, our newly arrived students in your English class? Um, just supporting them in general. Like really, it's all about knowing the students in the sense of of inclusivity, right? We talk about inclusivity and and that word is really interesting to me, inclusivity. Um, you think about what keeps people out, what makes students show up or forces kids to be inauthentic in a way. Mm -hmm. um, how can I make it so that students feel that they belong, um, that they can show up in a way that students can make mistakes and learn because that's what it's like to support students um, who are newly arrived. I think you and I both have the experience of and know what it's like to right. come to the United States mm -hmm. as newly arrived <laughs> students. Right. You and I both do. Mm -hmm. um, so really, in order to support them, my classroom and curriculum is built around ensuring that student voice is centered, um, that students can make mistakes and come to me with those mistakes and learn. Um, my classroom isn't just my classroom. I don't even call it my classroom, honestly. Mm. I call it our classroom. It's oh. theirs too. I make sure students know that our classroom is a community. Um, when it comes down to the little things, the students help me create a lot of my curriculum, actually, um, and the learning goals. I do a lot of feedback surveys. Um, we talk a lot. There's a lot of project-based learning, reading, writing, and speaking is very reflective of the student population um, and dialogue, making sure that everyone is respected. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, all these things that I, I mean, thinking about like when I first got here to yeah. the United States and being a newcomer, what made mm -hmm. it so that I could feel comfortable and really at the end of the day, that's kind of what I wanted to do is make sure that all of my students are super comfortable. Totally. And now uh, you mentioned that uh, you previous historically have been working with Spanish, Spanish speaking, mm -hmm. Vietnamese speaking, Russian Slavic students population. And so I'm kind of curious, though, how do you provide inclusivity, knowing that there might be some language barrier, but also like different, like different differences in cultural aspect. And so I'm curious, how do you navigate that in your classroom? Well, what's interesting about all of the quote unquote, you know, insert whatever speaking type of student here is that we all come from very collaborative and very community based um, cultures, right? And I'm thinking mm -hmm. about it in a sense of a lot of the students who are multilingual very much are collaborative and um, they have this way of really leaning towards their families mm -hmm. and not just that. It's kind of the way that my family works. Um, and I think that's really what is really, it, it, what's important is, yes, while there are very different um cultures there's mm -hmm. what's really important as an educator is you're that cultural bridge 
between you and the student and not just that, but the students amongst themselves. Um, I have memories of when I first got to the United States and just being terrified. I'm sure you can relate to this. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I I came to the United States when I was five years old and I just remember thinking, my goodness, um, everyone, one is really tall and mm-hmm. two, I- I'm terrified, right? And yeah. so it really helped when my teacher, I still remember her, Mrs. Moore, when I first came here, she was really the cultural bridge. Um, she reached out to my parents a lot. Mm-hmm. She really emphasized um, me belonging. Um, yeah wanted to get to know Filipino culture. So, yeah. And so I think that's, what's really important about supporting our newly arrived students is I'm thinking back to when I first arrived and how terrified I was. Right. Yeah. um, Yeah. Being that really important cultural bridge, not just between you and the students and of course the families, but also between the, as you know, the Vietnamese speaking, the Mm -hmm. Chinese speaking, the Spanish speaking and the Russian speaking. Absolutely, they're all going to be different, but at the same time, yeah, really important that we're all also at the same table. Absolutely. Yeah, that just reminds me all the time that I first came to the United States and then, you know, it's 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 frightening. It's scary to navigate that. I mean, I moved to United States at the age of nine and I had to kind of navigate on my own. I had to help my 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 mother, who, but, um, you know, when you're in the classroom, you're by yourself. And so it's really nice that like when my teacher back then would try to like understand, at, le- at least like, does their work to make me feel belong? But yeah, and I'm also curious, though, speaking of feeling belonged in community, you know, obviously, um, like, in the high school setting, too, there's all this like, you know, perhaps groups or peer relationship and friendship, whatnot. How do you help cultivate that? How do you help those newly arrived students, I don't know, finding them the right, like the right community they want to be in or with friendship, whatnot? Right. Um, I think the important things, of course, is within my classroom, um, I always ask the students, who do you want to sit by and who do you feel comfortable Mm -hmm. sitting by? Um, Mm -hmm. so definitely make sure that they're comfortable, um, sitting, um, next to, I don't know if I should say like even their friends, but I just remember making sure that my newly arrived students sit next to those who they can get help, Mm -hmm. um, and can really bounce ideas off of each other. Um, another really great thing about Clackamas High School is we have, um, a group, like, we have a great, not just ELD program, but also um, there are there are affinity groups where, mm-hmm. yeah, where um, the Latinx Student Union is really wonderful. Mm-hmm. The Asian Pacific Islander Student Union is really wonderful. So yes. a lot of students who who for who come like they they try to check those out so that they can find community there. Oh wow. Um, and it's really important because of the fact that I historically have worked with the advisors from LSU and BSU and um, the multiracial club and GSA. So mm-hmm. when you have the advisors working together, it's mm-hmm. almost it's almost like um like a how would I describe this like a a safety net 
I guess yeah. is what you can call it, right? A totally. safety net of I got I got my kids, you got your kids. We got to make sure that our our kids are are good. So, mm-hmm. and, and several times throughout the year, they also all work together and celebrate together. So we have these celebrations called intersectionality parties, oh, where all yes. of the yeah all of the the affinity groups celebrate together, um, and you know teach each other um, a lot of really cool things from their respective clubs. <clears throat> so that's that's another way of of helping students find their own communities. And really, at the end of the day, I think what's important is listening to your students and mm-hmm. knowing their ins and outs. That's so right. when I see, hey, that's cool. You're really into, I don't know, something that you and I have talked about, like K-dramas. Yeah. Hey, there's this other kid that's really into K-dramas. Have you mm-hmm. met this kid? So mm-hmm. knowing your students is what's really important. Yeah, I feel like it just goes back to relationship building, right? Mm-hmm. Relationships are so important. And I cannot agree with you more about that. And I like what you said about intersectionality party. That's so amazing. And I'm curious how students respond to all these affinity group and intersectionality party. Like how are they, what, what, what's their response? Well, so we started those when... CHS really got the affinity groups off up the ground and mm-hmm. I was I, I am friends with the advisors so the advisors and I all got together and said how can we support all of our students and we don't want our students who say you have a student who is both Asian and black right mm-hmm. we don't want them choosing between the clubs they can go towards the other clubs That's right. so we want a space where a student who is, say, queer, Pacific Islander, and multiracial can feel heard and seen mm-hmm. in one space versus having to choose the different categories and boxes. And really, at the end of the day, it's the students who came up with these parties. It wasn't even our idea. It was the student who said, hey, let's all come together and celebrate because the education system really honors, let's just face it, it honors mostly white, cis, het folks, right? So the right. students who are in the affinity group said, let's <laughs> let's have a really wonderful, diverse place to be. And, wow. and of course, it's open to everybody, but uh-huh. it's really a space where they can be themselves. And it's it fills up really fast. It's turned into almost like a festival type of thing. So, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Um, yeah, I highly recommend it. If you have strong affinity groups in your schools, it's a really cool thing to be able to come together and, and really create really wonderful community because then you can go to students and say, um, Hey, I see that you're into this. Have you thought about joining the Latinx student union or Latina student union? Right? Like you can, Mm -hmm. it's, it's different, um, what do you call it? Ways to to really integrate students and, and into different forms of community. Right. Wow, that's amazing. I love that it's just the students who are the ones that came up with it because they want to celebrate how like their identity, their cultures and stuff. Wow, that is so cool. I love that. Um, I kind of want us well, to kind of... I think oh, that, yeah, that what's super important, right, Sakura, is yeah, yeah. the fact that, and I know that you're good at this, is like, really thinking about 
and really honoring students in a celebratory manner and not a deficit manner. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what's really important, even for our newcomers. It's really easy for our newcomers to come in and say, wow, I really lack this. Wow, yeah. I'm not good enough. Wow, mm-hmm. I'm not good at English yet. But at the end of the day, you're learning another language. And right. that makes you twice as good as the person next to you. Not that it's a competition. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Like, it's, right. it's really easy for somebody who goes goes into a mindset of saying, like, oh, I'm really just, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. I just remember one of my students from Avid saying that to me. Um, mm. His name was Junior. And he said, he's like, oh, I'm just not good at English, Ms. Tumalad. And my response is, you're good at Spanish. And he's just like, yeah, but I'm like, and you can speak both. So right. <laughs> you're good at two different things. You just get to practice. You got to exactly. practice Exactly. Wow. And I love that you remind that student about the fact that they can speak like another language and they're working on obtaining another language. That's a power to them. I love that. Yeah. And also, it's all about celebration, right? We can't always focus on the deficit. It's just, it's too much for for our heart, for students' heart to continue to focus on deficit. So I appreciate what you mentioned about celebration. I don't want to like uh, go back, uh, lean kind of like uh, lean back to uh, Abbott portion. Um, so you say you've been working at uh, first generation students and to navigate college in general. And so how has that been look like for you? Well, I would have been a wonderful candidate for Avid. I am the first in my family to do many things. And I'm the eldest in my close family. I'm the eldest of three daughters. And then in my extended family, I'm the eldest of like 20 cousins. So (laughs) um, to be the, to be a first gen um, student is, really a navigation of of trying to figure out a culture that you are not familiar with. And I think mm-hmm. that's really what AVID became for me is, and I really love what uh, Bettina Love said about first gen college students. It's not the first to um, go to college, the first to be let in. Like, I love that reframing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first to be let into college, right? right? So the way that I went about it with my AVID students, um, and if super basic thing about AVID is you get the students your ninth, um, their ninth grade year, and then you follow them all throughout their high mm-hmm. school career. And along the way, you help students figure out how to get into college. You ha- you help them with FAFSA. You help them with their major. You help them with basic study skills, mm-hmm. and this is all due to the fact that they no one in their no one in their um family has gone to college, and right. or they have extenuating circumstances. Mm-hmm. Most of my students are um, first gen immigrants. A lot of them are students of color. A lot of them are multilingual. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all really phenomenal, like, right. <laughs> yeah, um, really, really wonderful, phenomenal kids, um, mm-hmm. and mm, mm, leadership, uh, potential yeah. too. And many of them even usually you take the students who are like, they're, they have potential, right? Cause AVID stands for advancement by individual determination. Uh-huh. Um, 
and they usually range between C to A, C to A grades, and you just push the students to take AP classes, push them towards um, honor classes, just, hey, you have potential. Mm-hmm. Um, really, at the end of the day, what I, how I treated, treated Avid is that we were a family, not just a family, but mm-hmm. a family who looks out for each other and college is something that it's one thing like it's not the end all be all i mm-hmm. really wanted to emphasize hey you can also go to trade school hey you can also go to community college if that's what you want to do that's totally okay right. i want to emphasize the fact that um there's going to be student loans yeah right because of <laughs> that's as, the reality as, exactly it's the reality um mm-hmm. especially as people of color people of color are most they they have a lot of loans absolutely most, most yeah. of us have the loans in in the united states mm-hmm. they don't have the generational wealth usually right uh-huh. many of them even turned down some schools because they had to stay and be with their families yeah um, and, and and decide to go to different to a school closer so there's mm-hmm. there's also that and it was really navigate navigating a lot of um cultural spaces that had to do more with collectivism versus individualism. Mm. And so I taught a lot of what imposter syndrome is. I taught a lot of um, what racial battle fatigue is. Wow. Yeah. Um, So a lot of my students uh, really, they, they they started understanding what it was like to be the first in their family and what you're going to be up against in college if, if you choose to go to college right yeah wow racial battle fatigue holy yeah. cow <laughs> like i mean that it, it's so cool that you're already like teaching them about it too like about imposter syndrome racial battle fatigue like those are real and well and that's yeah. the thing though sakura is the students know what these things are they know yeah. what predominantly white institutions are they just don't have the language yet so when they finally right. get the language that's when they say wow that's what that is yeah if that's what that is how can i get past this right mm-hmm. how can i get better once i realize oh i'm the only black person in my AP literature class and I'm feeling really like I don't want to be here. Right. What is this? Oh, it's because I'm always having to explain things. Right. I'm always the only person. Right. That's <laughs> yeah, no, I that's feel that racial mm-hmm. battle fatigue. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, these are things that I would teach an avid. I mean, I, again, wow. That's, that's awesome. And yeah, for students to be able to like, able to articulate that and also naming it, that's powerful. And then you're giving them a lot of time to process and reflect and what is it like being the first generation to planning to go to college or even trade school, whatever, um, whatever they wanted to do. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and you mentioned that you been you follow uh, ninth grade to 12th grade, if, if that's yes. correct. Yeah. Um, how has that whole... How was it like for you to see your students from ninth grade to 12th grade? Magic, because as most as most high school teachers, even as most, I'm just going to say just educators in general, know you'll have 
a student in ninth grade and they will be a completely different person in 12th grade. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have students who, when they first got into AVID and they're like, oh, this is so stupid. I don't know why I'm in this class. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then mm-hmm. when they graduate, what? everyone needs to take this class or or we'll have a rocky relationship in the beginning of of their ninth grade year and then all of a sudden they're the ones crying saying thank you for everything that you've done for Aww. me the 12th grade year because they they've learned so much and they've changed so much as human beings i love it's, that. it's amazing it's wow. yeah i it, i love following the track with with students and you you really grow with the students too and i think that's mm-hmm. what's interesting is every year is different and I was very vulnerable with my students because their senior year my first batch of kids their senior year it was the pandemic year and Mm. I remember as seniors I cried to them saying this isn't how I imagined your senior year because that was the year that they couldn't be together right Right. Mm -hmm. and so when they graduated and of course, I was in tears because I'd known them since they were ninth grade and, and oh. all of them got into co- their college or school of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember telling them, you know, I, I am so blessed and so lucky that I was able to be your teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the lucky one. I'm the lucky oh. one that I got to watch you grow. My heart. <laughs> My heart. <laughs> That is an amazing message that you deliver to students. Ah, I bet they're so touched by your words. And then you <laughs> and I'm sure you're so authentic when you show up being vulnerable and then in tears, but also proud of them too, I'm guessing. Oh, yes. like you're really proud of how far they've become. And so wow, what a journey. <laughs> what a journey to be an avid teacher, but also English teacher too, for like uh, for high school kids. Wow. Well, and, and and you know there are times when consistently it intersects. Right. Um, I remember once when I was in one of my, uh, oh, one of my admin. Um, what is that called when they're when they're telling you, like, hey, be better at this. Oh right, oh, evaluation. Yeah. Evaluation, assessment. I was in an evaluation and I remember my admin saying, you, and this was maybe my second year teaching, why Mm -hmm. do you teach your AVID so different from how you teach your English? What's, yeah, and I remember him asking me that and I said, you know, that's a really good, I don't know why. And he said, you make such great relationships in your AVID class, you can do the same thing in your English class. So I started taking a lot of avid strategies and the way that I do things and how I create relationships and put it into my English class. And it has really, really helped develop relationships with uh, my students, regardless if they're in avid or not. Totally. And yeah, just again, going back to supporting students and intersectionality, celebration, it all applies, right? And, And so I'm so happy for the students that were in your class in both Avenue English. I'm sure they learned so much from you. They were able to be in this space. So um, as we're wrapping this wrap, uh, wrapping this up, um, is there anything else you would like to share for the, uh, for the listeners? Anything you wanted to add? Resources? Hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Well, um, I read somewhere that one in four children in the U.S. today are children of immigrants. 
They have at least one immigrant parent, right? Um, right. Me and you, we're, yeah. we're children of immigrants. We are immigrants. That's right. You, we sure um, are. I married, yeah, I married into an immigrant family. Um, yeah. So to me, it's not just about how do we support our newcomers? I think it's, it's for me, it's this is how I've lived. And so mm-hmm. it's really important to me to make sure that my students are always seen and heard. Because um, people at the end of the day ask you like, oh, what makes you such an effective teacher? And and I sometimes I can't answer them. But like, at, yeah, for me, I think like listening, like really listening to your students. Listening. Um, listening, like what do you enjoy? What do they listen to and watch? What makes them happy? What do they care about and what moves them? I read once this really great saying that said, there's no such thing as the voiceless, just the unheard. I think we talked about this yesterday. Yeah. Um, I'm not there to give students a voice. Um, They have a voice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They have one already. Um, I'm there to hand over a microphone and give them a pen or pencil to write and ensure that they can be their authentic selves and they can find their agency in the classroom because student-centered teaching is liberatory practices at the uh-huh. end of the day. Um, and at the end of the day, I want my students to be able to think critically and uh, have empathy and care about one another. Um, some resources. I'm trying to think. <laughs> yeah. If you have one, that is. Well, I mean... I'm currently going through my, uh, (laughs) I'm rereading a bunch of things. So uh, Cultivating Genius, of course, is always a good one. Um, Mm -hmm. Goldie Mohammed, I use her standards there. Ratchademic by Chris EDM is, um, I'm rereading that one too. Um, Connections Over Compliance. Hold on, let me, yeah. Over compliance is um, by Lori DeSotos. Lori DeSotos rewriting her perceptions of discipline, and wow. of course, mm-hmm. um, teaching the invisible race, which is uh, Tony De La Rosa, um, because of the fact that I am so 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 happy that there is something that there is a pedagogy type of book that is very much aimed towards Asian Americans. So yes. teaching the invisible race, embodying a pro-Asian American lens. Um, very, very much recommended by Tony De La Rosa and the forward is by Liz Kleinrock. I know you, I know you love her. <laughs> yes, um, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, those are the books right now that I, that are very much centering my teaching. I love that. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Ethelyn, for your time and your message to all of us. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit grow.oregonad.org.